This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 10th of March. And on the programme today, we focused on a breaking news story that Dubai's Knowledge and Development Authority, that's the KHDA, has agreed to allow eligible private schools in the Emirate to put up their fees by around 3%. We had all the details on that, plus commentary from Susan Roberts, the editor of Which School Advisor. Plus, as a pair of young scientists in the UAE win a prestigious Microsoft-sponsored award for their invention to power streetlights using traffic, we spoke to Ihab Fauda, who is the General Manager of Public Sector for Microsoft Middle East and Africa. Plus, we spoke to an inventor about how you can encourage your child to become more creative. Kix Mendiola is the proud inventor of a flying car, which can stay in the air for 15 minutes and it has a maximum speed of 60 kilometers per hour. We also found out how you could avoid the school run with Abdullah Al-Mir from the Dubai Taxi Corporation. And we discussed how your child could become a climate negotiator. Thanks to the team at Expo City Dubai, who of course are hosting COP28 in November. Meanwhile, we were also joined by Toby Gregory. He's one of the team from the Arabian Ocean Rowing Team. He's just returned from his ocean row, where he was also responsible for an experiment on microplastics for the United Nations. And we finished up our programme with a fascinating interview on online safety with Andy Price, who's a Key Stage 2 teacher and the lead on EdTech and Innovation at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. That's after a number of charitable and other non-profit organizations came together to urge video sharing platform TikTok to do more to protect children. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Hello there. Welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back to Eye on Education. It is our special schools program or our special learning program uh, when we get a chance to put the spotlight on uh, university schools, nurseries and, of course, higher education of every single sort. Uh, we are very excited to say... There's nothing journalists like more than a breaking story. And we have a breaking story today uh, because private schools in Dubai are going to be eligible for a 3% increase in tuition fees for the 2023 to 2024 academic year. That is according to Dubai's Knowledge and Human Development Authority, which is wider known as the KHDA. Joining me in the studio to talk us through this breaking story is producer Jennifer Crichton. Jen, what do we know so far. We're going to be taking a look at the story as far as uh, how the increase in fees is going to take place. Uh, The approved fee apparently takes into account the economic situation of the Emirate, that's according to the KHDA, as well as the operational costs of running a private school while maintaining the quality of education. Now, the rate by which schools can increase their fees is tied to each school's most recent inspection rating from the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau. Now, under the school fees framework, private schools that maintain the same inspection rate will be eligible to increase their fees by 3%. Schools dropping in the annual ratings will not be eligible for any fee increase. So that's hugely interesting because, of course, it means that if the school 
school is uh, not performing to the standards that you would expect, uh, or at least to the KHD DA would expect, then they're not going to be able to put their fees up. Now, as you can imagine, oh my goodness, this is going to be a topic of conversation among parents at the school gates in the next hour or so, because school fees have not gone up for some time here in Dubai. Uh, We've all got used to the fact that they've more or less been static. Uh, But... That doesn't mean they're cheap. In fact, the reality is is that the UAE has some of the most expensive school fees in the world. So what do you think about this story? What do you think about school fees being put up by the KHDA starting in September? 3%. I will notice that on my school fees for my children. That will be a big hit for me. And I think it will be a big hit for many of the families here in the UAE. So I would love to hear from you. Please do get in touch. Uh, the best number, uh, the text line is 4001 or the WhatsApp is 04871 What do you think about school fees going up? I suppose, Jen, that the sort of counter argument to parents feeling furious about this, because I'm sure there are lots of parents who will be uh, feeling quite uncomfortable about the the sort of increase in costs, uh, is that, you know, we've seen rapid inflation recently. We've seen uh, the cost of teachers going up. We've seen the cost of services going up. And ultimately, schools haven't been able to put up their fees for some time. I think that's it, isn't it? It's this difficult scenario that we face across the board really when prices are going up and inflation is high where we want to be paid more we want our lives to be comfortable the same applies to teachers and school staff and all the people who keep our kids safe all day so you can understand from the school's perspective they're facing the same rising costs as we are but it doesn't mean it doesn't sting a little bit it when really, you consider what it's going to actually mean for all of us. Yeah, it really does sting. And of course, uh, you were saying a little bit earlier that your son is at a school whose uh, their rating is likely to go up in the next few months because they're a brand new school. And when they started, they were good, but obviously they're doing very well. Yeah, that's it. I think um, a lot of the schools actually that opened just prior to the pandemic or during or since they've only had one or none inspections so far. So if you've not had an inspection, (laughs) excuse me, if you've not had an inspection before, the chances are you're going to get good. Most schools on their first inspection get good. So pretty much all of the schools that have opened in the last four years plus are all vying to up those ratings this year. So I think that that affects quite a number of schools actually in Dubai that will really be pushing for those ratings to go up. I know our school is is really keen to get up to that outstanding level. And of course, if it jumped potentially two categories or even one category, that's potentially an even bigger rise than what we're discussing if they just stay the same. So I think there's probably quite a lot of families here that are in those newer schools who are probably going to be thinking, hang on, this this could be a little bit punishing on the wallet, this could. Yeah, it should. Uh, 22 new schools have opened in the last three years. That brings the total number of private schools in Dubai to 216. But enrolment at those private schools has increased by 4.5% since the last academic year. So certainly you get a sense of increased demand in the in the school's market. And ultimately, I suppose if there is increased demand, then there's even more of a case for fees to go up because, you know, there's capacity there amongst the population to, to fill it. Absolutely. And of course, 
for a lot of families as well, if you get in on that first year of a school opening, you might get sort of founding fees. You might be a little bit protected from these rises. But the demand is there. And for families, and we're seeing a big influx into Dubai. So families who are arriving, a lot of those families will be more drawn to those newer schools, primarily because they're more likely to have space as well. You know, it's it's a competitive environment out there in school spaces if you're coming in not at FS1 but trying to find a space for an older child. School spaces are few and far between sometimes, so a lot of families may well have picked schools based on the cost that they're looking at and had a budget in mind. And if you've picked a new school on that basis and could now be looking at significant increases, that could be of real concern. So we're just looking at exactly how much those fees will be able to be increased. Uh, Worth mentioning that, of course, Dubai's government froze private tuition fees for four years in a row. Before that, fees could be raised by about 2% to 5% annually, depending on academic performance. We are have not confirmed whether or not that is what will be happening this time. So far, we only all we know is that they're going to be eligible to put up their fees by 3%. We're not sure yet about whether or not there's a difference with, you know, if you go up two scales or one scale as far as your inspection. We We do have questions in with the KHDA right now, and we will be keeping you updated as soon as we have more information on that. We're also going to be speaking to several stakeholders uh, in the next hour and a half or so, namely Susan Roberts, who is the Witch School Advisor Expert. She'll be joining us at midday, and we've got bids in with all the school groups to try and get their reaction uh, to this school fee rise. Uh, It's been frozen for four years. I suppose from that perspective, parents have been lucky. Uh, But yes, private schools in Dubai will be eligible for a 3% increase in tuition fees uh, for the 2023 to 2024 academic year. Keep your comments coming on those. Lots of people getting in touch already on 4001 or you can WhatsApp us on 04871 Now it wasn't the only uh, top education story in town because former US Secretary of State Hillary Clinton visited NYU Abu Dhabi earlier this month to meet uh, sorry early this week to meet with some of the university's faculty officials uh, and students um, you might remember that NYU, NYUAD has got strong ties with the Clinton family. Chelsea Clinton, in fact, was an inspiring help to the university when they first organised the initial classes back in 2010. And eight years ago, former US President Bill Clinton honoured uh, New York University Abu Dhabi as a keynote speaker at its inaugural commencement ceremony in 2014. Uh, now, uh, during the Forbes 3050 summit, which took place in at Abu Dhabi, Hillary Clinton spoke about comments made by the UN when it comes to women's rights and challenges that are still being faced. Uh, based on current data post-COVID, it would take 250 years for women to achieve pay equality. And if you look at the range of social, political, economic cultural advancement goals that we've had, it would take 300 years. So it's kind of distressing, to be honest, as we're gathered here to see what we're finding in so many areas. 
That's Hillary Clinton speaking on uh, on occasion of International Women's Day at New York University, Abu Dhabi, a little bit earlier this week. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yes, it is 12.05. Welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back indeed to Eye on Education. And let's take a look now at our top local story because for the first time in four years private schools in Dubai will be eligible to put up their fees by 3% at the start of the next academic year. But the rate by which schools can increase their fees is tied to their most recent inspection rating from the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau. Now under the school fees framework, uh, which is a special strategy invented by the KHDA, private schools that maintain the same inspection rating will be eligible to increase their fees, but schools dropping in the annual ratings will not be eligible for any fee increase. Meanwhile, schools that improve their rating uh, will be eligible to increase their fees according to the methodology. Now, that means that they could go up by more than 3%, depending on which ranking they've stepped up from. We will outline that in a few more details in just a few minutes. But how did the KHDA come to this decision? Well, officials there told us they took into consideration the economic situation of the Emirate, as well as the operational costs of running a private school while maintaining the quality of education. Like I said, it's the first time the fees have gone up for four years. But that doesn't mean parents will be enthusiastic about it. Joined on the line now by Susan Roberts uh, from Which School Advisor. Susan, fantastic to have you joining us on the line. How are you? Very well, thank you, Georgia. And very interesting news this morning. It really is. They're very naughty to release it on a Friday because it means that less people are paying attention to the news, except for the team on Ion Education, for whom the announcement was perfectly timed. Uh, so we're very enthusiastic about it. Uh, so tell me, Susan, uh, was it expected? I think it would be uh, far-fetched to say it was unexpected, let's say. It's been a number of years since private schools were permitted to raise their fees, um, which which will have had an impact. They will have been feeling the pinch accordingly. Whether they were expecting these particular percentages um, is, is another matter. That's obviously a balance between what is affordable uh, to, to parents and what schools can manage with, as the KHDA has quite rightly highlighted. That's what's gone into this decision-making. Um, but I think it's fair to say that some increase was, was certainly expected. Okay, so do you think that schools will feel that this is enough? Obviously, they've been facing increasing uh, costs. The cost of teachers gone up, the cost of power has gone up, the cost of all sorts of things have gone up. Will this be enough for them? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because of the way the the framework works, essentially, um, the schools that are going to potentially feel the, the most significant uh, impact of this and potentially be able to increase the most are the, the lower performing schools, those who have been rated um, as previously being weak and moving up to, sorry, previously being very weak and moving up to weak or from weak to acceptable or acceptable to good, um, can can do double, can increase by 6% for, uh, potentially is what we understand. Whereas for those who are continuously outstanding, um, 
they don't have that on offer, they would be continuing, uh, they'd be potentially able to increase at 3%. Now, it's also worth uh, keeping in mind, according to the KHDA, this is not automatic. Um, so it's not the case that these inspection ratings mean that, that fees are automatically going to be increased by, by these various amounts. They still have to apply individually, and each school is going to be looked at individually according to what they hope to increase by. So parents can can pause a little bit before the panic really sets in and finds out from the school what they're actually intending. Um, but yes, it certainly will it'll impact schools differently um, based on, on how well they are performing, essentially, according to the KHDA. So I imagine for those that are, are performing consistently at a higher level, there may be a little bit of disappointment from this news. Okay, how about parents? <laughs> I'm a parent. Um, I, I, I am too. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Three percent, I can just about handle. I think my the school that my kids are at is probably already sort of very good or excellent. I'm not really sure. I hope it is, considering the fees we pay. Um, so I don't think they'll be able to put them up by much more than three percent. But that's still going to sting. Let's be honest. Well, nobody likes paying more. Right? Yes. That will never ever be welcome news to anybody. Um, I think at best we as parents. Perhaps we have to be pragmatic about it and understand what's been going on economically and, and globally and, and the challenges that we'll face for a variety of sectors and businesses, including schools. Um, if we do want to to continue to have high quality provision in the UAE, if we want it to, to continue to grow, which is certainly what the KHDA wants in line with expected population increases here, then perhaps. This is this is somewhat inevitable, um, but I can't imagine there are any parents that are delighted by the news. Um, the other side of that is, of course, generally speaking, and, and not always, but generally speaking, those that have perhaps had the the weaker rating in their KHA inspection are often those that are the uh, let's say affordable schools or in that bracket, um, and perhaps have families with children attending that perhaps are on a, a somewhat lower income. Unfortunately, they're potentially the ones that are going to feel that increase more, which is tough. That is certainly tough on parents compared to those at the at the premium end of fees, um, which often are those that are the higher achieving. So it's it's difficult on that front. But mm. but I think as parents, we do have to be somewhat pragmatic in what we expect as well. School fees in the UAE are among the highest in the world. Why is that? Do you think? Um, I suppose really we've got to look at the the country we're living in. This is not a low cost country to be in. Um, the, one of the highest costs for schools is salaries. Um, what do we want to pay our teachers? They're living here. Um, they have the usual cost of living that we have. Uh, so I mean, that's going to be one of the greatest contributors to that. Obviously, there's a range of other factors going on there. And there's also regulatory expectations, parental expectations, and the commercialism that comes with the private school sector. But ultimately, it costs quite a lot to run a school, um, quite frankly. So uh, there, there, there are costs that need to be passed on to parents up to a point, up to a point. There are quite a lot of private companies involved in managing the schools of the UAE. And those private companies often do quite well financially. Do you feel or do you think that we are getting quality for our money? Do you think we're getting value for our money? Those two things might be two different questions. Well, I think that's one of the um, one of the really interesting things about the private school sector here in the UAE. It is massively diverse. 
Um, the KHDA certainly and the other um, regulators in the other Emirates are really, really pushing for for exactly that, for value, for for improved performance in schools and, and what we provide to our children while they're learning. Um, but there is quite the range here and there are there are indeed some excellent, excellent value schools and there are perhaps those where parents feel a little more frustrated on that front. Um, I don't think it would be fair to generalise because it is possibly one of the most diverse private education sectors in the world. Susan Roberts, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the line at very short notice because we just had that breaking story uh, that school fees uh, will be going up by at least 3% uh, in the new academic year. That's at private schools in Dubai, which are eligible. Uh, Lots of details about that on the ARN News Centre website if you want to get into the nitty gritty because there's a few percentages as to whether or not if schools increase their standing on the inspections uh, board, then they can go up by more than 3%. If their standards do not go up, then they're not allowed to put up their fees at all. But we are getting your reaction on that now. Susan Roberts there, uh, the editor of Which School Advisor, giving us plenty of much needed commentary uh, on that topic. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to Eye on Education. Welcome back to the agenda. We are looking now at our top local story, uh, just going back to it, because for the first time in four years, private schools in Dubai will be eligible to put their fees up by at least 3% at the start of the next academic year. But the rate by which schools can increase their fees is tied to their most recent inspection rating from the Dubai Schools Inspection Bureau. Now, Jennifer Crichton, Producer Jennifer Crichton understands this. Uh, She's been looking into it. She joins me now in the studio and can talk us through exactly how they'll be structuring the increase in fees according to their rating. Jen, thanks for coming in. Thank you for understanding it. I'm really enjoying that you're you're promoting me as understanding this because I've left my phone in the other room. So I am working from memory and numbers are not my strong suit. So I'm just going to put that out there. But I think I just about understand it. Yes. So basically, it is a 3% rise for those schools that stay at the same level as they were in the last inspection. Schools that go down a grade will not be eligible to increase their fees at all. So that 3% is only if you manage to go up a grade. Now, Sorry, it's only if you manage to stay at the same grade. If you manage to go up a grade, then the figures change. So it could potentially be that we're looking at rises of up to 6% depending on the rate of the rise. So I am just finding the table here. So what's so interesting about these fees going up is that... It's the schools at the lower end of the quality scale that are going to be allowed to put their fees up the most, potentially. Yes, and I guess in a way that makes sense because those are the schools that are really going to need to be investing in improvements. So if your school was rated very weak before and rises to weak, or it was rated weak and goes to acceptable, or if it was rated acceptable and goes to good, that's where you're seeing these 6% rises potentially, if they are improved. So they get the 3% rise times two. 
Schools that move from good to very good are entitled to raise by 3% times 1.75. Now, that is 5.25%. Again, they need to seek approval to institute that rise. So it's not guaranteed. And if you go from very good to outstanding, you can go up by 4.5%. That's the basic rate times 1.5. OK, and we have been getting reaction from the schools group, including from GEMS. Uh, we had this comment co- uh, come through in just the last few minutes. Today's decision by KHDA to increase school fees for academic year 2023-24 empowers us to invest further in our teachers and facilities the foundations of a quality education for every GEMS education student. We're pleased to confirm today that we will be implementing teacher salary increases in April for our Indian curriculum schools and in September for our international schools. Okay, so that's John Bramley. He is Vice President of Communications at GEMS Education. Important to get uh, their reaction because, of course, they are one of the biggest school groups in the country. We are keeping our lines open for your comments. Please do get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 Now, with preparations for COP28 in Dubai accelerating, attention has turned to engaging the UAE's youth in the event. And while the global environmental gathering doesn't actually get underway until November, an innovative new outreach scheme is already kicking off. Now, joining me with more of those details is producer Jennifer Christ, and she is multitasking today. Uh, What has been happening down there at the expo site? Well, a very strong debate, I think it would be safe to say. Now, what is happening is that they are effectively trying to engage the nation's school children in the events of COP28 in advance. Now, of course, COP28 isn't kicking off for a few months yet, but those debates have started in earnest. And to be quite frank, having listened to some of the children who are involved, we might do well to get them involved in the real conference. Take a listen. This has been a very, very fun experience, very educational. I've been in many debating competitions that were environmental, but after today, my perspective has been widened a lot on climate change and the other major challenges that act as a major threat to uh, all the countries uh, globally and uh, that we should further uh, implement solutions and look for possibilities in order to face those challenges and minimize them as much as possible. This this discussion was very productive today. I've received many insights and I hope to soon have another one. This COP or CAP can benefit me by helping me enhance my speaking skills, my researching skills and overall my brainstorming skills. And I think this is a great opportunity for anyone who wants to improve upon that or anyone who just wants to have fun, debate a little and brainstorm. This event was really, really inspiring. I got to know about climate change. I got to know about food insecurity. And it had made me feel the pain of other countries as well as what problems they have had. As well as I've got to know that just a small step that we could take all together as a society could change our world to a better one and have accessibility to food, to climate change, and as well as a better economically developed world. 
Now, of course, as you say, these young people are part of the generation who are going to be experiencing the sharp end of the climate crisis. But I wonder whether this program can help to demonstrate how we can ensure they're knowledgeable about the climate crisis without, of course, them being left anxious. That's certainly a big part of the aim, to use the programme to empower the UAE's young people rather than scare them. And of course, part of that comes from providing them with information. But a major part of the process lies in facilitating debate, which allows those young people involved to feel that they can do more than talk, that they can take action and even come up with their own suggested solutions to tackling the climate crisis. And actually, they're not the only ones who are already looking forward to solutions. The president-designate of the COP28 summit, Industry and Advanced Technology Minister Sultan Ahmed Al-Jabbar has already embarked on his first international tour and this week he called on the community to do more to embrace renewable energy. Speaking at the Sarah Week conference in Houston on Monday, he opened by telling the assembled guests, Houston, we have a problem and failure is not an option. He went on to call for a 7% cut in global emissions for the total elimination of methane emissions and also demanded that the oil and gas sector step up its game and triple its investment in the transition away from fossil fuels to renewables. Really interesting to hear there how Expo City Dubai is using their Climate Ambassadors programme to facilitate student debates and also to help young people uh, get involved with the sort of climate negotiation process. Basically, that policy has been set up to help the nation's school children feel involved in the COP28 conference. More on that in the next few weeks, no doubt. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the Agenda. Welcome back to our special Eye on Education programme when we look at all aspects of learning, uh, whether you're a child or an adult. Now, a pair of young scientists have won a prestigious microsoft sponsor award for their invention to power streetlights using traffic. Now, Rama Ahmed Al-Mansouri and Reem Jassim Al-Kabi from HCT Madinat Zayed campus were named the winners for their streetlights model that uses something called piezoelectricity. I will have more on that in a minute. I'm not going to try and explain it myself. But in total, more than 200 groups of pupils entered the UAE edition of the Microsoft Imagine Cup, which challenges students to come up with innovative solutions to societal problems. Joining me now to talk through why they host the competition is Ihab Fowder, who is the general manager of the public sector for Microsoft Middle East and Africa. Hello there, Ihab. How are you? Good morning, Georgia. Thank you for having me. I'm great. Well, it's a delight to have you on Microsoft Teams, which is, of course, the natural uh, video calling uh, utensil for your company. Uh, And it's lovely to have you with us on the programme. Why do you host these awards? These awards are amazing. We call them platforms for innovation and development. It's, uh, It's a platform where we bring in the top talent of students, for them to have an opportunity to test and work on the latest technologies that we offer. We, they get training, they get guidance for them to innovate on crucial uh, topics such as uh, sustainability, healthcare, uh, lifestyle, you name it. And for them to really develop in a way where they can get some professional tips as well. And it's, 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 it's great, it's, it's, it's great cultivating 
platform for for young minds. And were you impressed by the entries this year? One thing, uh, you know, when I was asked to go and present and meet meet the the final six teams, it was impressive with the seriousness of the topics that they picked. That's one thing. And another thing that was really for me outside of the competition is that every team were quite quoting the leaders of the country. So they're taking these 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 assignments very, very seriously. The level of competition, you know, to have to have young, young students come on stage and in front of judges and present showcase their uh, innovation in a, in a, you know for you know and then present it in front of strangers that builds up character that builds up a confidence on their abilities to do more uh, so i think it's uh, from a technical point of view from an innovation point of view it's amazing but it's a development as well for future leaders so obviously the 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 winners had come up with a street lights model that uses piezo electricity what what was it about that well what is that first of all uh, and and what was it that impressed you about their entry so first of all it's a very cool name so i give them a high mark on the marketing appeal of of, uh, of the naming so basically it's a set of sensors that they can put on the street and the sensors would convert energy that is generated by cars stepping on the on the these sensors and they convert it into electricity that powers the electrical lights so it's a, it's a cool innovative solution that can be really we can we can advance it and they can work on making it uh, uh, a little bit wider for not just to source electric lights maybe uh, a lot more in in the streets and what about the other finalists what kind of clever ideas had they come up with Oh, I've seen a sustainability application that I liked personally, where you can detect leakages in pipelines. I've seen a an application that is impressive for people uh, who are diabetic, where you can put a wearable device, especially you know to help uh, people with that kind of condition when they are driving. Uh, we've seen, uh, yeah, I've seen an application that is very interesting in terms of how do you connect and communicate to locate uh, blood uh, donors uh, in, in crisis or in normal times. So really very, very serious applications. And what happens for the winners? Is it a, is it a, a cash prize or do they, is there some other sort of reward? Honestly, the biggest reward is the mentorship. So Her Excellency Ali Al-Mazroui will be mentoring the winners. Uh, we at Microsoft, we're going to take the winners as well and give them a little bit more guidance, have uh, deeper discussions with them to, uh, to help them shape up the final product as well. So that's the biggest thing. And uh, then, you know, when they go and compete with the rest of the world, uh, they can. Uh, there is a competition. Uh, the final will be in Seattle, where there is a hundred thousand uh, dollars award, which is not bad for for young students, and they get to meet with our CEO Satya. So it's 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 to me it's really it's uh, it's the recognition and the appreciation of the technical innovation, uh, getting proper. Um, I would say professional help in terms of how do we how do we go and how do we become innovators and then we cap it with the cash and the meetings and the recognition that happens that from the leaders of microsoft 
Fantastic to speak to you there. So, I mean, there's no doubt the value in mentorship. I think people are, are realising uh, just how important that is for young students going forward. Uh, so thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme. I have Fowder there, uh, General Manager of the Public Sector for Microsoft uh, Middle East and Africa. Fantastic to have you join us on the show. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to The Agenda. Welcome back to Eye on Education. And we are discussing the importance of inventors on the programme today. How can we encourage our children to think out of the box. And if you could see me now, you can see me doing inverted commas on either side of my head. Uh, To help us on our way, I'm joined now by an extraordinary self-taught inventor who created his own one-seated flying car. It's named the Concepto Millennia and the vehicle can stay in the air for 15 minutes and it has a maximum speed of 60 kilometres per hour. And it is my pleasure now to welcome Kiers Mendiola on the programme. He is live from the Philippines where he lives and I'm not sure if I said your first name correctly because it's spelled K-Y-X-Z which is so cool but I don't know how to say it. Kicks. That sounds awesome. Kicks. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on the line. Tell me, how do you come up with your ideas for your inventions? The Flying Car Project started out as a, a, a personal fun project. But basically, I, I do filming. So I build drones for a living. And then from there, I started getting curious if I can build something big enough to carry me. So... It was just a fun project. It, it began as a personal a goal to fly, and then now it, it became a business. And I understand that you now have a prototype that is ready for mass market. Have you had any interesting companies sniff around who want to buy you? Actually, I'm still on the hunt for the best partner for this kind of project because it's, it's such an expensive project that... Uh, Not a lot of companies, especially here in the Philippines, are willing to jump on it. So it's got to be somewhere from places like Dubai, actually. It's the perfect uh, place for this kind of project. And I'm actually on the hunt for that. Ah, well, I have to say Dubai is fascinated by flying cars. There's been lots of talk recently about the Roads and Transport Authority here establishing air bases for flying taxis in various parts of the world. What I'm most interested in is that you are self-taught. What led you, what drives you to become an inventor? It's more of a natural gift, I guess. Um, right from Right from when I was a kid, I remember always getting curious when it comes to electronics. I'm the type of kid wherein when I see a, let's say, an RC car, um, it doesn't interest me as as a car. It interests me like how it works or how it was done. So every time I get a toy, I end up breaking it apart and trying to, I never really know how to bring it, put, put it back together. But I grew up destroying a lot of toys just because of curiosity on how it works. I guess, uh, it's always been a fascination of mine. Do you come from a family of inventors or are you the first mad scientist? I think I am the first. Uh, but my father was very into electronics, um, into like sound system, because that's our family business. So I, I, I always see him when I was young. He was uh, fixing radios and stuff. 
but no one re- really got into inventing or innovating in my family uh, besides me. Okay, so what we're talking about on our program today, on our Eye on Education program, is how we can encourage children to become more innovative, how we can encourage them to think outside the box, and I suppose ultimately to be more like you. Now, what would you say to the parents of young people? What would you say to young people themselves who uh, maybe, you know, see this option and, you know, would love to be an inventor, frankly? I think the best thing that um, I would actually address more the parents more than the kids because it it's actually natural for kids to be curious with a lot of stuff and it's natural for them to want to learn different things but sometimes they get they get um stopped or discouraged by sadly by parents because they want something else for them uh I'm I'm grateful and I'm lucky to have parents that never even though I was a, a bit of a problem child growing up, destroying my mom's blowers, destroying everything <laughs> that my dad buys me. But, but they never, yeah, I destroyed so much blowers, my mom's hair blowers, because it has motors in it. So anything that has motors, I, like don't get it near close to me because it will be gone in like a few hours. I'll probably open it up and get the motor. So, but I was never discouraged. I was never told to not do what I'm doing. Of course, they got mad at me at some point, but they, I never hear them say, do not do this, do not do that. They always just watch me and they, they let me experiment on different stuff. That is very cool. I have to say, if my son took apart my hairdryer, he would be in some serious trouble. But it is lovely to hear about exactly. how <laughs> about how you started to play with just everyday things in the household. And that led you to create to create that really remarkable flying car. I will put some pictures of it on social media. And I wish you all the best with your hunt uh, for an investor. Thank you very much for joining us on the radio today. That's Kix Mendiola. Uh, He's speaking to us live from the Philippines. And like I said, he is the most extraordinary self-taught inventor. He's created his own one-seated flying car. uh, And it would be great to see that flying around the skies of Dubai at some stage in the future. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, Georgia here on the Agenda. Uh, This is our special programme, Eye on Education. Now imagine uh, many of the people listening now, many of you are sitting in traffic right now on the school run. And uh, as a consequence, this idea might seem as attractive to you as it did for me, because you can now book special taxis to pick up your children on the RTA's Dubai Taxis app. It's called the In Safe Hands service, and it enables parents to pre-book taxis daily, weekly or monthly to take their children to and from their schools. Now, that is incredibly useful if school buses aren't an option or if, like me today, you're in work when you would like to be on the school run. Actually, I'd prefer to be in work than on the school run, if I'm honest. Uh, But joining me now to explain how it works is Abdullah Almir, who is Director of Digitization and Commercial Development at the Dubai Taxi Corporation. Joining me on Microsoft Teams. Abdullah, thank you for your time. How are you? Good, I'm fine. Good morning. Good morning to you. Now, I understand this In Safe Hands service itself was actually introduced a while ago. Is that right? Yes, it's been introduced a while ago. 
and uh, it's especially uh, designed for our children to commute from their houses to school and office. And then, sorry, okay. carry on. Sorry, carry on. Okay, uh, NCF Hand is a service, uh, especially catered for school uh, students, through which parents can reserve vehicles in advance at a specific time and recurring intervals within on daily basis, weekly or monthly, transporting transporting them from uh, their schools and back to home. Uh, the initiative came from RTA to support the school the transport sector, which contributes to enhancing the following the flow of the uh, education process. NCF Hand is an exceptional service, which we uh, support the integration uh, of uh, transportation service to increase well-being pillar to meet our customer satisfaction for all service which is regulated by roads and transport authority. The service has been developed as a unique transport solution for school industry by applying high international practice, and we did study uh, needs and requirements from our customers. Today, NCF Hand is developed for areas not reached by school bus services in the current situation. We are enhancing security for our students uh, by, by introducing this service. Parents can apply for the service by uh, through a DTC app. They can download DTC app either from Play Store, Apple Store in order to activate the service with very easy registration step. It is possible also, we allow it possible to pick up three children from the same location or same area, family or neighbors. Some, some neighbors, they have some arrangement. We can commute three children for, from, from our taxis. Okay, so I have to say, you're speaking my language right now because I really struggle with the school run. I struggle to fit it into my working day and I have to say I hate sitting in traffic. Plus, we do the school run with uh, with neighbours, so that scenario would work really well. I think probably the reason why I haven't uh, adopted the service so far is because I still having, have a sort of niggling anxiety that whether or not the children are safe with a driver that I don't know, for example. How do you ensure that, that your drivers are, are safe? Actually, all our taxi is uh, having tracking system, which our OCC team uh, can monitor the trip. Uh, parents will be uh, having the visuality through the DTC app to track the, track the trip uh, at reaching safe. Uh, and this is through the DTC app. All customer and driver are informed. Information are registered in our system and under monitoring. Uh, DTC also commit that driver will have a sufficient experience, knowledge of the service guidelines that we, they will take care of the safety of the children. Uh, we will provide the required service at the time and place as registered by our uh, customer. Uh, there is one condition if the children is below 13 years old. There should be a guardian from the from the customer that need to commute with them according to the legislation. Also, guardians, if there is a guardian allocated for the children which is below 13 years, the guardian MSID should be registered on our app. So he or she will be the only allowed to be commuted with the child. And this is mainly where, when it comes to the safety of the transportation through the service. And do your drivers receive sort of extra training, the ones that are going to be in specifically in this in safer hands strategy? Yes, there is a service guidelines when it comes to safety to commute the children. And we are following the safety guidelines, which is extra measures when it comes to transportation children. And we we trained our driver on such guidelines and we are monitoring closely because, you know, the children are sensitive 
when it commutes through the city. But uh, as I highlighted, if they are below 13 years, there should be a guardian from the customer. The guardian will be on the, on the, on the trip, taking it uh, to the school and coming back again, we drop the guardian back. Then again, we come and pick up in the afternoon the guardian, get take him to the or to take him or uh, uh, she or he from the house to the school and bring back the ch- child to the to the to the to home safe. It sounds like a very uh, oh sorry, carry on. Yeah, if uh, the children is above thirteen years old, they can't commute by themselves according to the legislation, and we are monitoring the trip so closely to ensure the child is safely arrived to the school, and the guardian can also track track the trip because it's a visual and uh, it is see they can see the trip through the DTC app they can track the trip till reach the to reach to the destination well it sounds like an absolutely brilliant strategy and if only my children were over 13 I could I could send them on their way uh, quite happily uh, but for anyone else or for anyone who's happy to send a guardian as well it sounds uh, very useful indeed it is the in safe hands organized by the RTA's Dubai taxis app and it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show so thank you very much indeed for your time Abdullah Almir there who is director of digitization and the commercial development at Dubai Taxi Corp This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. It's our chance to look at... I suppose, learning and educational establishments from nursery all the way up to university and into adult learning as well. Now, today we are looking at how we can inspire our children to get involved in saving the planet. And I'm joined by someone whose mission is to enlighten people about microplastics, but he doesn't go an ordinary way of uh, approaching that. He uh, decided to row across the Atlantic in order to raise awareness about microplastics. Delighted to say I'm joined by Toby Gregory, uh, who is from the Arabian Ocean Rowing Team. He has recently returned from his rowing trip, and I'm very pleased to see that he is not dead. Hi. Well, good afternoon. That's quite the introduction. (laughs) My word. I was pretty certain that you were going to disappear not make on that it not make it well we, we proved you wrong and my word i couldn't educate people about plastics if i didn't come back so i frankly had no choice i have to say though we went we ran through a list of all the potential reasons that and, and ways and yes. permutations of death yes and i am very surprised to see you here self and sa- uh, safe and sound yeah so my family there was an insurance policy i'm sure that was taken out before i went certainly um but here i am i'm i'm in one piece and so the great thing is that i'm able to restart my school's program yes and and talk about the climate talk about climate change more importantly plastic and plastic pollution and actually during our journey you know we saw plastics out there on the ocean and it wasn't just microplastics you know there were large pieces of plastics we were taking photos we were getting the coordinates and actually the information we we collected stunned the un environment program because they thought that far out at sea it would be broken down it becomes microplastic so actually we've reintroduced a new problem that they thought had gone away um which by is our big voyage. plastic yeah, it's big plastic because essentially, as you can imagine, when things are, are, are hit by the ocean, it's very fierce, it's strong, and, and so it breaks into small bits, and that's how you get your microplastics. And so, you know, what are the large bits of plastic doing out in the middle of the ocean? You know, so the photographs we've got, they're being analysed by the UN Environment Programme, their Clean Seas team, to say, okay, what is it and why is this happening? 
Okay, so I know that as part of your trip, you were sponsored by the UN Environment Programme, and you've even brought in a net to prove what how you were gathering the microplastics. We are live on Facebook at the moment. I'm going to ask Toby to hold up his net. There's the net. There's the net. So for, 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 bring for, it in closer to your face. For, there we for, go. For There's people the net. listening on, in, in their cars, um, you know, it, it's basically just an, uh, essentially a, a sieve. It's you an upside-down rocket. And, That's and, its shape. And it, it collects into a small tube at the end, and you take the contents and you put them into a jar, and you keep the jar, you put the coordinates down, and then you pass it on to a scientist who can tell you what's in the water. But and essentially, how, how many of these net loads did you do? Did you have it running the whole time? So, no, because it slows the boat. Yes, I imagine. It, it almost puts us into a complete stop. So as a consequence, you know, it was incredibly painful for the other two while we were rowing along, and I'd usually do it during our morning meeting. And obviously, one of the things we we hadn't expected we thought we'd, we'd hit a couple of storms we hit a ferocious four or five day storm and then it just kept being rough so the opportunities to put it into the water were less and less and that's to do a climate change but we'll come on to that another time but frankly you know i've i've got about you know six to seven great samples that are now being analyzed by specialists to say what was in the water and the thing is that we we didn't pollute we had no engine you know we were powered you know by the ores and we used solar panels to generate electricity so from that perspective run be a large research ship that was polluting as it goes you know that we weren't impacting the water in any way shape or form so they're fascinated by what we actually discover very very interesting and i love that you've got this big schools program you saw more than twenty thousand students up to university age before you left yes you're continuing with that program yes your headline when you walk into the, to see those school kids must be along the lines of i rode across the atlantic and i didn't die and i really do want to find out about what that journey was like i literally haven't asked you yet how how did it go Look, it was mesmerising. It, it was brutal and relentless. The toughest thing I've ever done. We rode all day and we rode all night. But it was mesmerising and magical at the same time. And frankly, I can't wait to get back out there. No, I can't I, believe that I for a minute. I promise you. And the, the great thing is that Chris McCarty that does a show a little later that's not as popular as yours. That's why I'm not well... on it. And, but he was saying I wouldn't get permission. I already have permission for three more trips. From and, your wife? Yeah, from my wife. I've got clearance. Um, Where are you going next? Well, no, I, no, no, I, no. I promise Actually, to announce it here when it's time. But okay. we've, we've got, it's, the, the planning is well underway to the point where we're just sorting out the logo at the moment. The logo? Yeah, already? So we, yeah, so we're sorting out, there'll be, there'll be another trip that takes place this year. And this year? Yeah, but, and again, we'll partner with the I UN Environment Programme. I've really got to stop repeating what you say. It's very, very okay. predictable. <laughs> but, no, 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 stop, 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 okay. because you're still talking about forward planning. Yeah, and I'm not allowing just nine words to, be, okay. to describe the 44 days. You 42, 42. 42 days. We felt each of those. That you spent on the, the ocean. ocean. Yes, the open ocean. How big were the waves? In all honesty, they were they were slightly larger than I ever hoped for. You know, it's 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 great. You know, a bit of bravado. We're going to go and row this boat, this open boat across the Atlantic, and obviously we knew we'd probably hit three or four storms. You know, a bit of gusty wind and elevated wave. I can handle that. Um, but my word, on about the you know twenty fourth of December. Um, you know, we didn't have a weather router, so we're finding our own path across this Atlantic. And, you know, a, a chap, Gerard, who was helping us based in the marina by WhatsApp, said, you know, OK, the waves are going to get slightly larger. Great. They were huge. They Is were this abs- Gerard the weatherman? 
Who yeah, this is a, updates on Facebook? No, this is a, this is a, a friend of mine. Another friend, and, okay. And, and the, the waves, you know, we're looking at a villa opposite here, the, the glorious studios that you have here, and um, the waves were at least 12 to 14 metres. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I'm not very clever, so I put that into to Google the other day, and it was talking about something like 40 to 50 feet. They were, they were huge, honestly huge. And you're um, in this tiny little boat about about four foot off the surface of the ocean. Less than that. You know, you, you're roughly about two and a half foot, you know, off off the, the water. So you feel and see everything. And, you know, you're clipped on at all times. And there was an incident about four or five days before we finished. Um, Ray, who, who was on the boat, um, I was passing over to him. I'd just been rowing. I'd done a two-hour shift. It was the middle of the night. You couldn't see anything. And I passed over to him. He was getting onto deck. I was just taking off my jacket because we went through some rainstorms. And a, and a huge wave just hit us from the side. It went through the boat. It knocked us both off our seats. And frankly, you know, we're glad to be strapped onto the boat. So it was rougher than expected. But at the same time, um, it was just the most incredible adventure. I can't tell you what the night sky looks like when there's no light pollution. It's, it stays with me every single day. And I miss it every single day. I miss the colour of the ocean. I miss seeing the whales. I miss seeing the dolphins. The whole thing. And then, the, the the bit that I'd love other people to know is we had to learn everything. You know, we have no nautical experience. We've got no rowing experience. We've got no nothing. This is why I thought you were going to die. But the thing is that other people could do it too. And I was talking to a, a lady yesterday at DIC and I said, this is for you. You know, I've got a boat. Um, I'm going to use it this year. I'm going to use it for two things next year. Then, you know, kind of I'd love to, I'd love to get a group together from here of ordinary people yeah, yeah, stop looking at me like that well the, not you know, your name's on the list um, <laughs> and it's, that's how it starts so what does it what so i'm just trying to think of the the sort of physical state of this you're you're sitting in your boat holding two oars and you're two and a half feet off the surface and ahead of you is a 50 foot wave do you do you go up the wave and then back down the other side because, or does it crash on top of you it's, it's a great question because i don't know how many we went through but we must have done about a million waves and you're literally looking at these things sometime and you're thinking well how on earth am i going to get to the top of that but the boat was just amazing you know the boat does all the work you simply float there you're paralyzed for a moment you get to the top and suddenly you're at the bottom again you know and the, and the waves vary there was a time where th- there were two occasions that i distinctly remember where the person rowing in front of me was above me in a certain way you know i i'm not gonna oh say they're directly gosh. above me, me but they, it was sick. high but but honestly the boat was amazing and you know as a team we did what we needed to do to get across mm. you know it was brutal it was awful we barely got any sleep you know we we're all grumpy do you hate to, each other now or, yeah it's kind of yeah, but it's, it's six thousand you know you're trying to eat six thousand calories a day and and still i lost you know got 14 15 16 17 um kgs over yeah. the period of, Over the of, period of time. 44 days. It is, it's a brutal thing, but I can't tell you how mesmerising it is. What was Christmas Day like? Uh, Christmas Day was bizarre because I knew these waves were coming and we were already starting to encounter some of them. So you were scared on Christmas Day, I ultimately. wasn't scared. I was trying to. I'd just been told that, you know, my family were more interested in what we were doing <laughs> than they had been before, and that was to do with the waves. And so it's trying to communicate to them that you're absolutely fine, that you've got a handle on the situation, and, you know, life will be okay. And meanwhile, they're focusing on you and worrying whether your bleeper's going to go off in four hours. 
My goodness me, I have no idea how you managed to do it. It is extraordinary. Did you see a lot of wildlife as well? Yes, we did at different times. So perhaps wasn't as much we saw, but we saw we, we were stalked by a shark. I've got a wonderful video I think I sent to you. You did. We'll I'm going to put, gonna put that. What, yeah. Um, and we, you know, we saw Insta. whales. We had a bird follow us virtually the whole journey. I hope it found its way home. But I think the most concerning thing is that all these things we saw are ingesting plastics. Good, good one. You managed to bring it there around. There you go. I brought it good. home. You brought it around. So, and, that, and that is the problem, that you basically, as part of your trip, despite the beauty, despite the magnitude of your achievement, the overarching thing you've come back with is that our oceans are polluted. They're not just polluted. They're in an absolute mess. And the difficulty is a lot of people don't realise every second breath you take comes from oxygen produced by the ocean. You know, I could harp on about how it underpins the global economy. They are vital. And 60%, 60 to 80% of pollution on, on land ends up in the ocean or ends up in the sea. So we have to do something about it. So whether you like the seas, whether you like the ocean or not, they're critical to our survival and we're polluting them. Toby Gregory, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for not dying on the, on the ocean. Uh, that is Toby Gregory from the Arabian Ocean Rowing, Rowing Team. team. Thanks. Sorry. No, we're on Instagram. Do follow us. My brain is befuddled at the moment because we've had that breaking story. Uh, and you're not dead. Toby Gregory, thank and you very much indeed. Yes, you're off to Corfu Khan this weekend. Yes. Yep. I knew the, the wonderful news of it, getting that award was coming out. So consequently, I thought I'd get in before the rush. We're not actually staying in Corfu Khan. Uh, we're just staying at the Miramar just up the road, but we'll be there tomorrow. Please do report from I there. I shall do. I and shall we'll do. have you live on the programme on Monday to so tell us what's already. so great about Corfu Khan, which has run best Arab tourism city uh, this year nobody knows exactly why but we want to find out and we sure it we're sure it deserves it genuinely we're sure it deserves it we just don't know about it yet you, you will do after my trip we will indeed thank you very much you. this is eye on education on the agenda with the royal grammar school guildford dubai Hello there. Welcome back to Eye on Education. Welcome back to the agenda. Turning our attention now to uh, a big international story with local ramifications because a number of charitable and other non-profit organisations have come together this week to urge the video sharing platform TikTok to do more to protect children. The call came in an open letter to TikTok's head of safety, Eric Han, and it was signed by almost 30 groups. Now, that follows research which found that harmful content related Relating to issues such as eating disorders was being suggested to teenagers within minutes of them logging on to the app. And clearly that is a pretty terrifying prospect for many parents. But just how worried do we need to be? Now, earlier I spoke to Andy Price. He's a key stage two teacher uh, and also the lead on EdTech and innovation at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. And I started by asking him how both parents and teachers can mitigate the risks of social media. We educate the children on the age limits. And it's quite surprising when you go to these social media sites, what the what the age limits are. And parents especially are surprised about TikTok and Facebook and what age limit it actually is. And when you sign up, you do have to say what your age is. And, you know, we we find it very important that parents, you know, spend time online with their children and, and teach them appropriate online behavior. If they're going to allow them to use these social media sites, we, we don't encourage it within school, but just to have the kind of rules uh, at home, you know, keeping device out of the bedroom, um, bookmarking favourite sites for easy access, checking your credit card to see if anything 
Dodgy's gone out really. And, you know, and, and I think the biggest thing for me is having that open conversation with your children that they feel that they can say things to you if serious things of you know, uncomfortable things have happened to them uh, in an online exchange. And I think we're never going to get rid of the pressure of children having social media. But I think parents, you know, parental supervision is the biggest thing um, we can do to keep children safe. I know that when my children try to deal my phone, nine times out of 10, they managed to go on TikTok, which is hugely frustrating to me because I've actually deleted it from my phone several times. But they're just far too clever. They can just download it again. They know that if I've downloaded it once, they can download it again and it takes a few minutes. Likewise, with the history on their search engines, I'll always say, look, I know what you've been looking at. I can look at your history. Now, they don't know yet how to clear the history. But I mean, that only takes one teenager telling them and then they're sorted. So there is this sense that they're one step ahead of me all the time. And so it is difficult to keep abreast of these things. Do you also help your parents deal with these types of things? No problem. No problem. Um, Absolutely. I I totally agree with you. I didn't grow up with the Internet and I'd love to have had the Internet school. It's such a a wonderful resource for our children, you know, to communicate play interactive games we've got so many games that we use in school that are ai now artificial intelligence and gives the teachers so much but i i do sympathize with parents that as children get to a certain age you can put software on search engines and streaming sites and and making sure the parental controls are on there but you're right when it gets to a certain age they are going to be more savvy than the parents and my best advice there to parents is to make sure that that conversation is open all of the time and you know if there's any warning signs of you know they're spending too many long hours um, especially at night or if there's maybe phone calls from people you don't know maybe gifts turning up at home and and just you know if children suddenly turn their computer off and put the the laptop down and things just watching out for those warning signs because I I do sympathize being a parent myself it's extremely difficult but I do want my child to have access to this wonderful wonderful resource. So we talked about the responsibility of the parents and the schools and the children themselves are there concerns among teachers that for example the social media sites themselves are not doing enough to protect their young users. There's been a recent campaign by charities who've been calling uh, on TikTok itself, for example, to crack down on certain harmful content. I mean, we we don't use social media in school, so it's it's really outside of school. And we can advise parents, there's national online schools that produce these fantastic information sheets on, on new trends that come out and on all social media sites and showing the risks and, and um, you know, the age limits really of educating parents as much as they possibly can. But um, I, I think it's such an exciting time that we could we could pull back from using uh, the internet and and all the all the sites that are available or we can embrace them and i think my my role at the school is to make sure that we're embracing the technology that's safe and that can really aid teaching and learning and enhance learning for the children it's interesting that you mention that because my resting position in many ways is to just keep them off the screens i feel like 
I kind of ha I can't manage the details. And so if I just keep them off the damn thing, then then I don't need to worry whether the game they're playing is educational or, you know, addictive or, and whether the site they're on is informative or telling them really odd things. So I think that is the challenge as a parent to fully engage so that your children get to use these utilities without seeing things they ought to. I, I, again, I, I, I totally sympathise being a parent myself. Um, there, there are risks out there. Um, inappropriate content, cyberbullying, online predators. However, it is so exciting what we've got um, available to us now. Um, we see our role of um, informing parents about basic guidelines and watching for signs and things, but I wouldn't actively discourage parents from not using the internet at home as long as they're following guidelines, uh, you know, watching, overseeing, holding the children's hands. Then it's, I, I think personally, we're doing it, the children a disservice. There's not going to be any jobs in their adult life when they get out of school that's not going to use the internet in some way if we don't let children experience them then how are we preparing them for adult life andy price there key stage two teacher and the lead on ed tech and innovation a royal grammar school guildford dubai basically explaining that i probably do uh, need to have a little bit more sophistication when it comes to letting my children go online and on computers. But they're still not getting a mobile phone till they're 13. And I stand by that. Kids, if you're in the car now, there won't be any movement on that. They always try to get one over by me by talking to their dad to try and say, Dad, you'll get me a mobile phone before 13. Absolute veto. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.